Listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium, like Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more. Plus, get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Just $4.99 a month. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code THEWILDLIFE for one month free. Devin. And this is Richard. And you're listening to The Wildlife, a show hosted by two brothers that explores nature's untold stories, wild secrets, and your place in all of it. It's also episode 43 without Ryan Reynolds as a guest to compare and contrast Hugh Jackman's Wolverine with the real Wolverine. Now, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, huh, the audio just changed a little bit. Well, that's because it has, as sometimes happens in post-production, plans change and you need to make last-minute adjustments. I happen to be needing to make this last-minute adjustment when I'm sick, so pardon me. (laughs) But if you remember last time in part one, we had sat down to talk with Sebastian Echevarri about jumping spiders and tarantulas, and we're really getting into the nitty-gritty of reproductive strategies and how exactly it works out. When we left off, we had just introduced our next guest. My name is Shakira Quinones. I'm a PhD student at the University of Ljubljana in Slovenia. And I'm also a researcher at the Biology Institute ZRC Sazu. I'm currently at the final stages of my PhD where I studied natural and sexual selection pressures related to small male size in a sexually dimorphic spider from the Nephilide family. We reached out to her to, well, talk about ore weavers. Because here's the thing. Sebastian, his his main focus is on um, jumping spiders. And while he has a great breadth of knowledge about all things spider, we did want to reach out to someone who specialized in ore weavers and, and Nephilids in particular. Um, in part because of mine and Richard's personal experience, with uh, a, a species of Nephilim here in North America. So, that isn't to say that Sebastian didn't have a lot of amazing information and interesting facts to say about ore weavers. In fact, he taught us about how some ore weaver males rip off their own arms and present them to the lady to munch on mid-coitus. And he also told us about how some males will approach the female and just, you know, just just skip the beat entirely and impale themselves directly onto her fangs. Because, you know, that that works sometimes, I guess. Either way. Still interesting. But for the rest of today's episode, you are going to hear largely from our next guest. However, about midway through is when we will have our listener-submitted questions, our, our listener our listener question lightning round. So you'll hear a little bit of um, Shakira, but also of Sebastian to round things off. 
before we get to part three on Friday, where we sit down to discuss garter snakes and pheromones and snakes on a plane and pits of snake sex and all kinds of crazy stuff with Professor Robert T. Mason at Oregon State University. When we sat down to talk to her, it was uh, incredibly early morning on our end of things, and it was just after lunch on her end, <laughs> as far as I recall. And uh, so uh, uh, she had a bit more energy than we did. We were a bit on the um, still waking up, drinking some coffee side of things. But nevertheless, it was an excellent conversation, and she had a lot to teach us. And the first thing that we wanted to know is, uh, well, what exactly are Nephilid spiders? Um, so they're a family of oar-weaving spiders, and they tend to be quite large, um, except for one of the genus, like Clitaetra. Those females are small compared to the very massive um, Nephila or Triconephila spiders. So you do have one of these species in the U.S. It's called Nephila clavipes. Or it used to be called Nephila clavipes, and now it's Triconephila clavipes. But most people still know it by as Nephila. And they're very big, and the males are really small. And um, actually, sometimes females can be like 500 times heavier than males. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I love working with them because they're like gentle giants and they just live in their webs. They just don't, they don't crawl around. And yeah, so we have them in the lab. I actually have one species right now that I was working with for my PhD. And so they make their webs and they just basically sit there and wait for prey. So they, they don't really do much. And if I have to handle them, um, Usually we use a paintbrush to be very gentle and sometimes I can use my bare hands to like guide them into a new enclosure or something. But like handling them with my hands is not really part of the job. Because <laughs> you, you said 500 they... times? Yeah, like 500 times heavier. 500 times heavier. Wow. Is that typical uh, in as far as dynamic between male, female and, and spiders or is that something specific to Nephilim's? Um, this extreme is uh, just nephilids, um, but uh, sexual size dimorphism, it's, um, it's kind of, I, I don't want to say common in spiders, but it okay. is, uh, I mean, but there's only in, I think, like five families of spiders, mm. but we, we, we see them, I mean, they're common in, in the sense that, that it's spiders that you see outside, but only about Five families have uh, this extreme. Um, um, is a uh, is a golden silk nephilim spider? Yeah, we're very familiar with those. There. Oh yeah, they're they so You uh, have those in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a state park around here, and uh, around uh, July, there's just hundreds, just all all over the park. Yeah, yeah. And they have really large webs as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know and. I would say with those in particular, that's one of those cases where um, I think we've gotten quite familiar with them. I, I used to, uh, there was a time where I was leading a hike uh, down in the Houston area and I had a large brim hat on, didn't realize how low <laughs> there was a golden silk web on the trail and I kind of picked up when I was leading a group of toddlers and had oh, them fall right on my head, one of the females and that gave me a heart attack. But it was like at that moment um, and on, 
I haven't really minded them so much. I, I, I'll get really close, and they're really fun to just observe and watch because they, they are really still, and they just kind of sit on the web, and they're just pretty to look at. Um, Richard, on the other hand, he will run. Um, I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I, I have watched you full-on run as if it's going to chase you down. I've uh, gotten so. a lot better. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to get better. Yeah, uh, so no worries. They will not move. <laughs> they will just sit yeah. there and wait for prey and you can actually like if you would grab them they're really gentle like i, I don't recommend just going around grabbing spiders because you're disturbing them yeah but if you would you would notice that they're very clumsy actually because they they're not really good at walking or crawling if it's not on their webs so uh looking at your social media and stuff uh and when you were referred to us so i see a hashtag that pops up a lot. So uh, hashtag spider porn. So did, yeah. did you start that? Is, is that something to do with your studies or is that something else? Yeah, I don't think I, I actually started it, but I, I don't know. Um, but I don't remember copying from anybody, but I'm sure that maybe some people must have used it before to just show cute pictures <laughs> of spiders. Like, oh, just I'm like sure. we do with food, I mean, with, uh, food porn. But then I, I used it because I was recording mating experiments. So I was literally making sex videos of spiders. So spider porn was like <laughs> the obvious hashtag for whenever I was I, sharing vi yeah. videos of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't intentional. It was more like, oh, this is my PhD. And I was struggling a lot. You know, um, sometimes doing a PhD, I mean, not sometimes, mo most of the time, PhD is kind of hard. And then... Um, Sometimes also a little bit lonely if you don't have a lot of people to talk to. Like if you don't have a, a cohort with you, uh, like, sure. like they do in the U.S. So in Slovenia, we don't have cohorts. And mm -hmm. I was just like, let's just go on Twitter and just share what I'm doing with spiders. Because then if other people are happy about it, then I get, you know, enthusiastic again about my, my research. Because sometimes yeah. you just get bored. Yeah. So then I started sharing stuff about spiders and it kind of picked up from there yeah, and, yeah. Well, social media especially especially twitter and I'm, I'm surprised that it isn't more so with instagram just because it is so visual um mm -hmm. but i feel like twitter in particular has been this sort of uh you know nexus point for science communication where there's just so much happening there and so much flexibility for communication between researchers and uh, the common people, air quotes, as, as it were, uh, to be able to really talk about these things and see what's going on in a lab and see what real science is, uh, you know, not just test tubes and beakers. And, and it's uh, quite wonderful to be able to follow yeah. these people and uh, be able to yeah. just get involved in all of this. Yeah, so I, I think what you're doing is great, and I, I love all the videos and I love all the pictures. Um, so I think that before answering that question, I think it's better to first explain how do spiders mate? Because I'm not sure, sure a lot of people are familiar with it. So, yeah. so the females oh, yeah. have, have, yeah, so they, they don't have penises, the uh, males per se, or, right. or like the reproduction is a little bit different. So the, the uh -huh. females have their reproductive opening in, um, in the abdomen. So in what it would be the ventral side of the abdomen, so underneath. Okay. And then the males also produce sperm in that area, but then they have to transfer that sperm to the pedipalps. 
Oh, so that's, remember, petty palps, those are those turkey baster things. Yeah. And apparently um, spiders can also use those for handling prey. So the, the petty palps, um, they actually look like extra, like short legs in the front, like close to their faces. And so these, are, these become the actual sexual, sexual organs of the males. And females have okay. them too, but the males um, use them for mating. So they're adapted uh, for mating. And that's one of the ways that you can, the easiest way to recognize females versus males. So males have uh, enlarged uh, pedipalps. So then they actually build a sperm web where they deposit the sperm and then they kind of suck it up with a pedipalp to like charge the, uh, charge the pedipalps with the sperm. Mm-hmm. And then they have to go find the female. And that's when things get interesting because then they have to reach to the female like up front because, you know, these pedipalps are in the front. It's like they yeah. look like two front legs. And so then what the males do, there's some species that have um, like elaborate dances. And then if the female looks receptive, she would... Um, kind of like lean on the side and then the males would mate and then try to like run away as fast as possible because sometimes <laughs> they're receptive and they still kill the males in, in the meantime. And then there, um, in some spiders, they do what's called mate binding so that the males deposit silk around the female. So they kind of like wrap them in, in silk. <laughs> But actually, the silk doesn't really restrict much their movement. Or in some species okay. it does, and in some species it's uh, speculated to be more of a, like a chemical signal that maybe signals the quality of the male. We're, we're still not entirely sure about oh, the mechanisms. Okay, yeah. sure. So then they, they bind the female and like kind of like pacifies them, and then they mate. But they can still break off, uh, for example... There's a spider, the Darwin bark spider. So uh, okay. it's Sarostris darwini. And mm-hmm. they can break off and still um, cannibalize the males. And then in the same species, actually, it was discovered that spiders do oral sex. Really? <laughs> yeah. And actually, the researcher who did that study was my husband. Uh, oh. Doctor, <laughs> yeah. He's Dr. Matias Gregoric. And uh, so he discovered that when males were mating, they would spit into the female's um, genital opening. And they would do it, yeah, they would do it before and then during copulation. So they would insert sperm and then do the oral sex and then even after. Huh. What's the reason for that? Is it some kind of like. uh... I don't know. So <laughs> trying he, to think of is there a germicidal component or I, I have no idea. Yeah, so that could be. Uh, I think that's like the most plausible explanation. I mean, they gave some um, ideas, but I think the probably the most plausible one is related to sperm competition. So that maybe there's something in the sub- substance that would uh-huh. give advantage to that male sperm. Oh, so so you were asking about the most extreme. Yes. So I think one of my favorite is actually called a male plug, a mating plug. So Mm -hmm. in some species, when the males are mating with the female, they break off the tip of their pedipalp 
and they leave it inside of the female copulatory opening and it serves as a as a plug so that the male that comes after cannot mate with her <laughs> or or struggle at least struggles a lot to mate with her jeez but then, yeah but then in this species where i work with the males actually br- break off the entire pedipalp so the whole bulb oh jeez yeah so that makes them kind of monogamous because they only have two pedipalps so they can only mate with the same female twice or two different females and that's it because they completely lose their organ and actually it behaves as an external plug so if there's another male that comes in he cannot mate at all with a female not even in the in the second opening because they have two mating openings so yeah. if he blocks one opening but he blocks it with a whole pedipalp then the other one is also inaccessible but then the free the females brush it off and the tip breaks inside so it still functions as an inside plug oh jeez yeah huh. so that for me that's one of the most bizarre ones oh and oh wait and then there's one species uh, closely related to the one I work with. So this species that I just mentioned is Nephila, Nephilingis cruentata. And there's another one, I think it's Nephiling, Nephilengis malabarensis, if I am not mistaken. And uh, what they do is that the males, after they break off their, their peripub, it continues to transfer sperm. So they mate, they break themselves off, or the females eat them. And while the females are eating them, they continue to transfer to transfer sperm. So it's oh, called geez. remote copulation. So that's, <laughs> that's to me the most bizarre. Yeah, remote <laughs> copulation. Yeah. I know the oral sex is interesting. <laughs> that because is, it's like that, so weird in, in a spider. It's really but weird. I think yeah, but remote copulation is my favorite. So uh, I've I've always been curious about webs. Um, and the different designs of webs, and in particular, so not not the golden silk. Everyone always mixes up the golden silk and the uh, black and yellow garden spider. I mm-hmm. think it's the black and yellow garden spider that has the zigzaggy pattern yeah, in the web. Yeah. Um, and I, I I don't know why. I always just think it's really cool. Uh, but is there anything with the web where a female might try to communicate mate readiness, or I, even a male, uh, using the web in some way as a communication tool between spiders? Is that is that a thing? Um, <laughs> a, a spider billboard. Yes. <laughs> spider billboard. Yeah, so this um, zigzag thing is not related to um, like mate attraction. It's more related sure. to prey, prey attraction. And but they do like um, when females mold to adulthood they do release pheromones that indicate that they're ready to mate so that's how males find them and i'm pretty sure that there's there's also um pheromones so there there's pheromones in the air and there's also pheromones in the silk so then when males come and touch the silk of the female then they get information about the mating status of this female so if she's if she's unmated or or mated, or if she, sometimes they can perceive if she already has males around because males leave their own silk behind. Mm. Yeah, so there is, there is a lot of communication going on in the silk. And there's also, so once the males are on the, on the actual web, they shake the webs 
or at least I've seen that in many species. And so we don't know if they're getting information of, from the female or sending information about themselves to the female or both. Sure. But definitely the webs um, serve as a medium of communication between males and females. That's really okay. cool. Yeah, for those that make webs or, or for those that, like, for example, that trap spider or the, sorry, that was the grass spider that we were talking about before, that he yeah. said that they had a sheet of uh, silk in the front of the of their burrow. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, mostly to catch prey, but then when the males come, they have to make sure that they tap the right coat so that the females don't confuse them with prey. <laughs> No, I think what's really staggering to me here is the the extremes on both ends of the spectrum in terms of how this is handled. Like how how male spiders have adapted to um, navigate the 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 danger of reproduction, the the difficulty that comes with the risk of being eaten. You have some spiders that do things like play some music, set the mood, and then boom, hit with some pheromones or whatever and, and knock out the female and then do what they need to do and run away. And then then on the total other end of the spectrum, you've got males that will literally approach the female and just rip off their own arms and be like, here you go. Why don't you just like gnaw on that? And you know what? If you're hungry and I'm not done yet, like go ahead, take, take my other arm. I've got eight, so it's like not a big deal. Or like, oh, you know what? Let me just, you know what? You know, I know you didn't even ask me to, but like, just so like, you know, you can trust me. Like, I'm just, why don't you just like, let me impale myself on you. It's, what? It's like Van Gogh offering his ear, but if ears were considered a delicacy. And you've been getting on me for these weird comparisons. How dare you? <laughs> man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. Well, apparently, and they've got to do a lot of weird stuff. But jeez, like uh, rip their limbs off. Yeah, can just can you imagine? Can you imagine you're like at the? It's like you know, like Maz Eisley Cantina. The guy, like Obi Wan, cuts the guy's arm off. But like, said like he ripped his arm off. Okay, that was a stretch. But can you imagine like you're you're somewhere? I don't know. I, I've been I've been married for a while. My my wife and I have been together for like ten years, like so I I don't even remember anymore. But like wherever people meet each other, I don't know. And like dude comes up and the way he's trying to like get your attention and affection is he just rips his limbs off? Excuse me. No, I'd find that horrifying. I th I think this is one of the many things that uh Caused, that we shouldn't personify. Yeah, that 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 caused our our guest to say that she learned early on to just not even to not even try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? And actually, on that, Sebastian's got uh, one more here that we're that we're just you know what we're just not even going to personify this one. So there's a jumping okay. spider. Um, the one that I comes to mind right now, the jumping spider example. There are other species that do this. It's um, Phidippus claris or Phidippus johnson I one of the two, those Phidippus, where the males will actually, they will stay, when they are mature, they go around, but they start, they're not looking for mature females. 
They're looking for females that are one molt away from maturing into a sexually reproductive adult. Okay. And what they do is when they find that female, they will find um, her nest and they mm -hmm. will guard it from other males. Interesting. And so they okay. will stake it out. It's like a stakeout. It's kind of creepy. Um, a little bit, yeah. Please don't personify the spiders. <laughs> I can't. Um, I have to know they, will, they will stake it out and they will protect, defend that area from other males mm -hmm. so that when the female does mature into an adult, um, he can then court and mate with her and has the chance to mate with her first. Um, mm -hmm. Because in many jumping spiders, females will only mate maybe once or twice in their lifetime. Because they, like many spiders, can store sperm for a very long time. Ah, but this does bring up uh, another question, and that's about storing sperm. And believe it or not, across the animal kingdom, the the act of and the adaptation of storing sperm for, for later use, and sometimes for just extraordinary amounts of time, is incredibly common. And not just that, but but females might also have one last trick up their eight sleeves. Get it? Get it? Ha. Huh. Ha. So, that's what I was going to ask about. So, how? what is the... Uh, okay, two things. Yep. What is the extent of time that a female spider can store sperm? And also... Mm -hmm. um, is there ever the case in spiders where they can be, um, uh, I would, would the right term be inseminated? I'm not sure. Um, uh, but select where maybe they uh, have yeah, two yeah, males yeah. worth and then mm -hmm. they can say, ah, you know what? Maybe not you, but I'll take this one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hidden female choice is I think that the word, yes. that, the term that's being used in the scientific community mm -hmm. where Females, after they've mated, they keep the sperm in what are called spermatheca. It's basically a fancy word for pouches of sperm. Um, okay. And they have these organs that keep the sperm inside of the female's body. Um, and then later, when they are ready to fertilize their eggs, that the sperm is stored separately. So they just mix the two inside their body, fertilize their eggs, and then lay the eggs. Um, and so there is a possibility. They have potential to choose which male sperm after mm -hmm. mating. And so they can rem possibly remember things after that about the male and say, oh, he, you know, he danced really well or he gave me a really big meal. <laughs> and like I let both of them mate with me, but I'm really going to use most of the sperm from that male. Um, there have been really few studies on this that I'm aware of. It's something mm -hmm. where like I'm really fascinated because they have the physiology to possibly do this. Um, and we don't know yet whether or not or to what extent that's happening. But it's something that could definitely be going on. And I'd mm -hmm. love for someone to one day like come out with some studies on this. Because we know it happens in, a, in other types of animals. Um, and it can lead them to some really interesting evolutionary dynamics when females mm. can do that. Gosh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. It's and you had a second so question. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. What was it? Oh, yeah. The length of time that they can store. Yes. Um, as, so I don't... There may be publications on this, but I'm not aware of an upper limit just because I don't think too many people have studied the length that a sperm is viable. Mm -hmm. um, but it could easily be... Um, I'm going to try to stick to my personal experience where I've collected mature females from the wild and then had them lay um, fertile eggs several months to like a year afterwards. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible that it could be much, much longer. Um, it's just that that's probably a situation that doesn't come up that often because they will like just lay the eggs. Um, I, I'm not aware of what the upper limit is, but it could be a very long time, especially considering that many of these spiders, I mean, the spiders I'd studied were jumping spiders that lived at the most two to three years. So a very big percentage of their lifespan they can use to store sperm and make a decision about wow. laying eggs and fertilizing wow. them later down the road. Gosh. Yeah. I didn't That's... think it would be uh, that long when y'all mentioned that. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's an adaptation that a lot of um, arthropods have mm-hmm. where they, they keep the sperm in a separate area from the eggs and then can choose when to, to mix it with the eggs and fertilize them. Um, it's something that has evolved a couple of different times. I know it's I have a friend that studies this sort of thing in insects, and so I know a little bit more about it in insects than I do in arachnids, uh, surprisingly mm-hmm. enough. But in butterflies, for example, um, it's at, you, that kind of adaptation has evolved. It's evolved in a bunch of different groups of insects independently wow. over and over because it seems like this is a really useful adaptation. Mm-hmm. That is the progression of complexity in the courtship and the reproductive strategies. But we're not done yet. We had a bunch of listeners submitted questions on this one, like far more than what is typical. And uh, so we're going to get to those right after this break. Live in the Houston area? Check out Armand Bayou Nature Center, the largest urban wilderness preserve in the U.S. Armand Bayou Nature Center contains 2,500 acres of natural wetlands, forest, prairie, and marsh habitats once abundant in the Houston and Galveston area. Armand Bayou is home to over 370 species of birds, mammals, reptiles, and amphibians. Their mission? To preserve the habitats with which they have been entrusted and to provide opportunities for people to experience and understand the local ecosystem. Armand Bayou Nature Center offers hiking trails, exhibits, field trips, scout programs, birding, a historic farm, and fun for all. For more information, visit abnc.org. That's abnc.org. You know what? Number one, we're back. Number two, I think I, I, I need a moment. I just need I just need one one moment, Richard. And I know I've had my fair share of moments on this episode, but I just think I need just one more shot, one more chance to do this. Okay. This is this is a new segment, by the way. We're calling it No One Listens to Devin. And there's a reason for this. It's because literally nobody listens to me. I'm a teacher, no one listens to me. As a parent, no one listens to me. For years, ten years. And this is sort of this is sort of why we're doing this. For ten years, I asked for a T-shirt that said "No one listens to Devin," because I cannot tell you how many times I've given advice or you know uh, lent lent an idea, and then people are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." I don't know, I don't know. And then like a week later, they're like, "You know what I heard? My friend suggested I do this," and I'm like, "I oh oh really really they suggest okay okay it's not like I haven't said that for years anyway." I asked for 10 years for a t-shirt that said no one listens to Devin. And, and this Christmas, my wish came true. I finally got one. So for the first time, someone listened to Devin. And so partly my hope is that maybe this is a bit of a reverse psychology thing. And, and that by saying no one listens to Devin, someone out there will listen to me. Uh. Stop killing spiders. Okay. Just get over it. Stop, stop it. Like, the whole, oh, there's a spider in my house. I have to smash it with a shoe. Okay, first off, 
They are tiny. Are you seriously telling me that you can't, what, are you going to square, like, oh, you're going to square up on the spider or oh, the spider's trying to square up on you or oh, it's lifting up its little legs? What is it going to do? Like, squirt its petty palps at you? Like, chill out, okay? It's a spider. Is it going to chase you down? It's, it's not like it's a linebacker, okay? Put it in a little jar, bring it outside. And you know what? If it's winter, it's in your basement or something. Who cares? It's eating other bugs. Do you want silverfish all over the place? I don't, I don't know why you'd have silverfish, but you know what I mean. Like, they're taking care of business, okay? They are free housekeeping. And then you're coming up, and you're smacking it with a flip-flop. First off, what a way to go, being f- smacked with a flip-flop. How, I would be pissed if I was hit with a flip-flop and died, okay? That's just not cool. Second, just, it's, it's fine. They're not going to hurt you. And no, it's probably not a brown recluse. They're called recluse for a reason because they're reclusive, okay? You don't see them all the time. If you're like, oh, I always see brown recluses. No, you don't. No, you don't. And oh, it's a black widow. Probably not, okay? People always think they see a black widow and they don't see a black widow. Chill out. You know what? Use that hashtag, that hashtag, use that hashtag recluse or not. Figure it out. You don't have to kill it. Put it in a jar, and then like poke a hole, let it live. I don't know. Give it bugs. Make your little spider bro. That's all they want. They just want to be your friend. Okay. They just want to eat some food. They want to find a lady. They want to live their life. Have kids. Read the newspaper. Travel on the bus. Go to work. Have a have a full time job. Be fulfilled. Could you make a spider a pet that's like too small to eat? Like I honestly or don't know. Like- I honestly don't know, but in a way, you can buy small bugs. I don't know. Like, just let it live in your house. You know what I'm saying? No, but like, put it in a box and be like, here's some gnats, buddy. I don't know. And then it's all like, oh, thanks, bro. And you're like, you're welcome, spider, bro. And it's like, oh, man, I really like you. And you're all like, yeah, man. Thanks, bro. Good night. Good night. People may not listen to Devin, but you know who they will listen to? Your mother. The, the, yes, their mother, but 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 also the experts, right? Right, like like Sebastian and Shakira. So this was our opportunity. This is a listening. This is the listener lightning round. Okay, these are questions that were submitted by you, and 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 and, and asked for you and answered. By the experts. Cue the lightning. Which I guess You're welcome. for us is sort of lightning, but for you it's thunder. Because you don't see it, you oh, just yeah, hear it. Yeah, we get it. That's trippy. Mm. I wonder how far how far away is that lightning before Thunder's just a noise. Mm. Oh that that that's a it's oh it's two miles away. <laughs> Every dad in North America. When there's a storm, well, that storm's five miles away. Puts her hands in their pockets, turns around and walks back inside. Good Lord, we're predictable. Okay, to the questions. This uh, this first one's from uh, Noah Giesel, and he's asking, are there any species that treat spiders like allies? 
I, I was so excited when this one came up because it is one of my favorite examples of a symbiosis or a mutualism or animals teaming up that mm -hmm. I only learned about recently. And it is that these giant tarantulas in the Amazon sure. keep tiny little itty bitty frogs as pets, as guard frogs. What? So these two animals that. live together in the tarantula's burrow. And they're these tiny little frogs um, that you can literally see photos of them just like sitting next to the tarantula that is like twice, three times, four times their size, <laughs> maybe more. And what happens is that the frogs will eat little itty bitty insects that are like too small for the tarantula, but uh -huh. that would attack the tarantula's eggs <gasps> and its babies. And then the spider keeps bigger things from attacking the frog because they will just oh eat my them gosh. for its own food. And so they have this really cool relationship where they both get this wonderful benefit. And they're really, they're really cute photos. Oh uh, gosh, I, it's like a buddy comedy. Yeah, oh, it's great. Oh, a children's book. Spider it's, and the Frog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I love it. Because um, the frog is really small and the tarantula is very big. It's like <laughs> one of the, like some of the larger genuses of tarantulas. Like, um, yeah. I think I've heard about it in the genus Pamphobedius and the genus Zanestlis. Um, mm -hmm. I have a Zanestlis tarantula that I'm, they can get to like uh, 10, 8 to 10 inch leg span. Like wow. they can become large. Wow. That, that, yeah, you're not kidding. That's pretty big. That's crazy. And for most things, they're very voracious, voracious animals that are like very quick to pounce on things. But like mm -hmm. their one special frog friend just gets to hang out. <laughs> And it's great. <laughs> this is Paul. Uh, he's protecting my eggs. Um, yeah. that's, that's just funny. <laughs> okay, we're going to interject on this one. I'm sorry, I have to. This has got to be my absolute favorite thing in the entire world. I'm really tempted to like write like a, like a graphic novel or do like a children's book about like, you know, a spider and his little froggy bro. It's, it's like a buddy comedy. I mean, come on. This is crazy. That must be a tiny frog, man. It looks it's like a it's like my little African dwarf frog. Well, apparently, um, they're they're a group of frogs called microhylids. They're these narrow mouth frogs. They're not so exactly they got the most... micro in their name. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean they're well... super small. I mean that I mean, these tarantulas are huge too. They've got like an eight to ten inch leg span. Uh, but this group of frogs, there's like 570 species of them across Africa and the Americas and Asia. Um, but they've, they've got this really interesting, like symbiosis where they're like sort of pets. Like, I mean, these tarantulas, like they are fully capable of eating these frogs, especially frogs this size, but instead they, um, use chemicals to like recognize these fra these frogs as like friends and like young spiders have even sometimes been observed to like grab the frogs and like pick them up and like examine them with their mouth and like you know it's, it's like it's like that big spider in the forbidden forest and harry potter and like and like the frog is hagrid you know what i'm saying like picks up and checks out like puts it back down there's like, oh you don't really taste good probably because you know frogs tend to have like skin toxins and all kinds of other stuff so like the tarantula doesn't exactly want to eat them but then yeah they benefit each other because then the spider eats things that would attack the frog and the frog 
eats things that would harm the spider's eggs. So then they just kind of like hang out together. I love it. This is my new favorite thing. Like I used to have like all the typical kinds of things to say for like favorite animals or favorite symbiosis or whatever. This is my new favorite thing. The only thing that can make this better is if the tarantulas have like a little saddle and the frogs just like rode them around the jungle. I'm done. Now I want to wonder if I could convince somebody to draw that. You know what? That's something. So on that note, we, I, uh, used to put up, you know, like weekly paintings and pictures and things like that, um, on social media. And I had various hashtags with it, you know, for, for the wildlife, um, and, and put some of it under our sci art category on the website. Um, and it's something where I've been wanting to get back into that habit. Um, but I also, you know, our focus is on community, right? And so I encourage y'all to do the same. Use hashtag the wildlife art or TWL art and put it up on social media. And I will look around for it and hope to see some amazing art related to things that we talk about on episodes. And then, you know, we'll feature them on our Instagram, on my personal Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, wherever we can possibly feature you. Even on the website, just to, to get you out there. Um, who knows, maybe you'll get some uh, uh, followers out of it or whatever. But, I mean, I just I just want to see what you come up with, especially on this. Like, give me your best art of a big old tarantula and a tiny little frog hanging out together. Maybe, if enough people do it, maybe we could, like, make a crowdsourced storybook. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be very, very amazing. Um... Uh, let's see. Uh, this one uh, was submitted by so many people. It was mm-hmm. just too much to uh, try to attribute to any one person. Yeah. Uh, what would happen if we didn't have spiders around? Yeah. Without spiders, the first thing that would happen is that all the things that spiders eat, there'd be a lot more of them. So mm-hmm. let's think about what spiders eat. They eat crickets. They eat moths. They eat cockroaches. They eat basically all the animals that are... Uh, both pests in terms of like they eat things that we don't want them to eat, but just herbivores. Mm -hmm. So these are animals that are eating plants out in nature. And so what if spiders were gone, those animals would wreak havoc. And we actually have evidence for this. Mm -hmm. So if you have a plantation of rice, for example, these are wet plantations where the rice crop is growing, you could allow there to be... um, spiders that live in the rice and they catch all the the insects in there or you could just spray insecticides Um, and actually you will get um, a higher yield if you let those spiders live there and you don't Mm. have to spray insecticides they will actually eat so many of those insects that the plants will be able to grow more because they are not being eaten Um, and so we'd have plants would would be a lot more chewed up We'd have issues with crops. Um, We'd have things just eating our food storage. Mm -hmm. And then all the animals that eat spiders, so that this is the flip side. On their size scale, spiders are some of the better predators. Um, But bigger animals that we often think are really cool, like birds and small mammals and things like that, depend on spiders as a food source sometimes. And so if they lose that food source, they're going to be in trouble. And so if mm-hmm. you pull out a spider from the, the, you know, the food web, 
if you will, yeah, all those different uh, strands are going to start falling apart. And sure. it's going to basically be a disaster. I laugh because food web, it's mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought about it mid-sentence and I was like, no, 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 I'll go for it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I, I could <laughs> tell. I felt chance. it. I felt it. I was like, ah. <laughs> My, my husband, who's the arachnologist, one was telling me this, that the spiders eat the most um, amount of meat in the world. So in terms of absolute mass. Oh, wow. And by meat, I, I just mean like other animals. So like, of course, sure. they, they eat insects. and So oh in gosh. absolute mass, the consumption of meat, the spiders are at the top, even above humans. Wow. So just can, you can imagine the amount of, yeah, so imagine the amount of um, insects <laughs> that we would have right. if like spiders right. would suddenly disappear. Bailey Poster, Jenny Shad, uh, we kind of answered that about mm-hmm. um, fear and spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, here's one from uh, uh, Dylan J at Contemporary underscore Conservationist. Um, how far do spiders travel on average? And I'm really curious oh. about jumping spiders and spending yeah. all their time running around doing their thing. Um, yeah. So Dylan, this is a great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, and because as with many things, there are 50,000 species of spiders. So it's going to depend a lot on that spider and its lifestyle. You can have spiders like trapdoor spiders, which mm-hmm. once they build their trapdoor, will live there for their entire life. If they're a female, they will never go out again if they can avoid it. Um, and that life can last 40 plus years. So oh, wow. Spot, the oldest known spider was a trapdoor spider in Australia that just lived in one spot for 41 years. Um, and they do not travel at all, except as babies when they're trying to find a place to make their trapdoor. And then you have spiders on the vast other extreme that uh-huh. are animals that balloon that they they actually fly through the sky hundreds of miles to find a new place to live and so yeah (laughs) they um they will they use their silk as a like a kite basically and they just lift off and they can literally fly over the ocean um there is i just saw a talk about how there's a group of grass spiders since you mentioned them um, in America that is more closely related to European grass spiders than the ones than the rest of the grass spiders in America. And it's because when the Atlantic Ocean was forming, like I forget how many million years ago, I think it was 160 or 60, one of the two uh, million. Oh, no, I guess 160 million years ago. Um, those spiders flew across the like early Atlantic Ocean from Europe and founded a new <laughs> population of grass spiders in the united in the uh eastern united states oh take that columbus geez that's pretty cool (laughs) so they um there's a huge variety in like how much spiders live it moves throughout their lifetime and like day to day same thing tarantula i have a lot of tarantulas they just sit in a burrow and they wait for food to walk by um and there are other spiders like uh, the well-named wandering spiders mm-hmm. um, that their like way of catching food is they just wander around and they'll just wander. They don't really have like a place to sleep, like a tent or anything or a nest. They just wander around. And when the sun comes up, they find somewhere to hide and then they wander around at night and then they find somewhere to hide. And so they're just vagabonds um, mm-hmm. and I mean, everywhere in between. Is that why a hobo spider is called a hobo spider? 
I think so. I'm not like there's a lot of weird spider common name history. Yeah. Like some common names may are kind of nonsensical, but I would <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if that's the reason. Um, I, the spider that I'm thinking of, well, there's a couple, but the wandering spiders is a group of spiders. But also, there's a spider called a vagrant spider that mm-hmm. also just kind of, you know, finds a new place to sleep every night. Huh. And then jumping spiders are kind of somewhere in between, where they have a nest that they often return to, um, mm-hmm. and they spend all their day like moving around. But they can just make a new nest if they want to. Okay. Um, and so it seems like they have maybe a home range. Sure. Maybe. Um, there's not a lot of studies on that because it's surprisingly hard to track spider movement because you have to yeah. like for birds, you like radio tag them, right? Uh-huh. For a jumping spider, we don't have that technology yet, but someone did make a radio antenna backpack for, I believe, large wolf spiders. And it's a little like, <laughs> it's a little like little backpack that you glue on the spider and they just, they tell you where they go. Dude, so they're, we're, oh, that's we're cool. getting to the answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh let's see uh, uh this one's from uh Tara Lee griffin uh why mm-hmm. do spiders have eight legs this was a fascinating question um because it really made me think because i can tell you what those legs do like i could tell you the kind of function of each of those legs but the question mm-hmm. of like why do they have eight legs versus like six legs or ten legs i think has to go back to how spiders evolved mm-hmm um, and spiders, though they may look at a surface level sometimes a little similar to insects, are actually vastly different animals. Spiders are the, the arachnids in general, so the group that includes spiders and scorpions and daddy long legs and all of these other cool arachnids, ticks and mites, first arose, or its ancestor um, first arose sometime, we think, 400 to 500 million years ago. Mm-hmm. So this is an ancient group of animals. Like the last common ancestor between um, uh, spiders and insects was over 500 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it has to do with kind of what those early animals looked like. And we don't know for sure, sure but a lot of them had segmented body parts. So they had mm-hmm. like different chunks and those chunks often had different like legs attached to them. Um, and it's likely that the ancestor of arachnids had um, two sections um, that had, uh, both of them had some sort of limbs attached to them. Okay. And over time, um, the limbs on the abdomen actually, we think, evolved into spinnerets. So they basically oh. stopped being legs. For like, and I'm talking over a very, very long time. So a long, yeah. long time ago this happened. Because um, uh-huh. even the ancestors of like, you know, 300 and something plus million years ago, they, they look like spiders. They have the eight legs and nothing on the abdomen. But the, sure. the, the, the spinnerets on the spider's abdomen may have come from what you once were legs. Okay. Or the evolutionary relative remnants of legs that maybe have some genetic background to them. Mm-hmm. And so why they have eight legs is kind of like asking why we have four legs. It's the fish that climbed on land happened to have four fins. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of stuck with it because it was working well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that the same thing is true for spiders. The, the, their ancestors had this head 
that had actually 10 limbs. So they have the eight legs and the two pedipalps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their abdomen had something that maybe turned into their spinnerets over time. You know, that they got they, the, the, all the walking and stuff and the prey capture done by the legs on the first segment. And the second segment, those were able to evolve into um, new uses and mm-hmm. uh, in many cases completely kind of disappear because there are spiders that there's some spiders that have uh, many spinnerets, but most of them have, I believe, between two and four spinnerets okay. on their abdomen. Um, huh. And there's some that can have many more. Um, yeah, so that, that's a, it's a, it's a great question about like why we look the way we do. And I, I think eight legs, why do they have eight now versus fewers? They started with eight, and eight worked out really well. Yeah. They were able to do a lot of things. Um, it gives them a lot of flexibility. Different arachnids actually have modified certain legs for different jobs. So, like, um, for example, in the whip spiders, the tailless mm-hmm. whip spiders, they have three pairs of legs that they use for walking, three, and then one pair of legs that they use as basically antennae. So they have evolved okay. to have what look like the antennae of like an insect in one of their legs. They're these really long like whip legs that are like very sensitive and they're covered huh. in like basically like scientific sensory equipment, all these little hairs and things that can smell and taste and hear. Yeah. And they are like mo- much longer than all the other legs and very delicate. Um, and, you know, Having eight legs gives you the flexibility to to turn two of them into smelling, tasting whips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. So the better question is, uh, Terry, why do you not have eight legs? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. In a way, you could um, do that but... a lot more done. You could yeah. you could have you could hold lots more things. I'll tell you that. Yeah, so many more <laughs> pockets. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd be better at climbing. More... A lot more range and shoe choice. Um, yes. <laughs> different things. Uh, <laughs> um, Anastasia Rose at Fossilus Asia. I kind of want to answer this one. Uh, why haven't they evolved to stay outside yet? You know why? Because because they're smarter than that. Inside's <laughs> a good choice. Um, on that, though, this is a question yeah. that was kind of asked by I'm, – I'm going to summarize this one that was asked yeah. by Lisa Schouts and, and Kate Bukowski and also myself um, – with the with the being inside and surviving mm-hmm. in like the basement all winter, um, and also why do they seem to always be seen in kitchens and yes. basements and showers? Are they just mm-hmm. listening to us sing and enjoy the vibrations? Like what's what's going on with that? Uh, that's a good question. So uh, I will say they at least some spiders probably can hear you sing um, because. There's been evidence that jumping spiders can actually hear sound through the air, not just through the ground. So oh, they're wow. listening to you. Um, and the reason that they come inside, I think it's either accidental, like they, they don't know the concept of houses. They think it mm-hmm. is a cave. Um, yeah. And they're looking for shelter. And the reason that they are found in kitchens, showers, and basements is because they have the things that the spiders want. They have an entrance or an exit nearby. So there mm-hmm. are windows near the those areas often or they might be close to the back door of the house Mm -hmm. or if it's a basement there might just be like a hole that they can come in through there's water or moisture Mm -hmm. um so in all of those places there's moisture that the spider can find to to stay hydrated Mm -hmm. um and there's often food so in kitchens there's food 
for humans, but there's also things that eat the food for humans, and then the spiders can eat the things that eat the food for humans. Ah, um, yeah. In showers, you often have, like, because there's sometimes standing water, you get some other bugs that come in there, mm-hmm. and the spiders will go in for those, or they're just in for the moisture, and they don't realize the food is there, isn't there. And then basements are dark, moist, and sometimes there's there are also food in pantries down there. And there sure. are insects that like like those environments. And so spider sets up and I was like, hey, it's dark, cool, I feel safe. Yeah. There's moisture, so I'm gonna stay hydrated. And look, there's like a there's like a little cricket hopping around. I'm gonna eat that. And they'll hang out. Um, because it's mutually beneficial, you know, for them and then for yeah. you because you're getting pest control. Mm-hmm. Um and that's, you know, I think why they're found in those places. You can find them in other rooms too. But mm-hmm. often it's going to be a room with a window or some connection to the outside and some sort sense. of moisture or like a yeah. potted plant or something where they can kind of hang out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. See, spiders seem, they just, they're, they're clever. smart. They're, they're clever. smart animals. Yeah. Like yeah. people ask me like, oh, you know, do spiders, do we really eat spiders at night? And I'm like, a spider is smart enough not to climb into the moist, smelly, snoring mouth of a giant predator. Yeah, you know, like, I'm glad you brought that up because I, yeah. I, I, uh, I hear that one frequently. The whole, you know, oh, you eat eight yeah. spiders per year, and to me, that's never really made a whole lot of sense. Like, I mean, if I'm a spider, not that yeah. I can really relate or or put myself in the mind of a spider, but I can I, give I you an like analogy. The last place I would want to go is mm-hmm. like somebody's yeah. gross mouth (laughs) think about it this way you you wander into a cave Mm -hmm. and inside is like a prehistoric cave bear it's Mm -hmm. out asleep and it's snoring and its mouth is wide open do you a leave or b stick your head inside of the cave bear's mouth oh stick your head in i'm just (laughs) yeah obviously right so it's the same sort of thing You, you, you these spiders have been around before the dinosaurs they are evolutionarily way more successful than mammals in terms of their diversity how many species there are um Mm -hmm. they've survived all of the extinction events since 500 million years ago Mm -hmm. um they're smart they're good at what they're doing uh, what they need to do which is being a spider and surviving and so they deserve a little bit of credit for that um that that actually might that that very much might answer this next question but it's sort of our our wrap-up question that we always we always like to ask this of people um uh in a way uh don't like to because you know we just kind of feel like uh you don't necessarily need to uh, attach some sort of value to different animals mm-hmm. to think that they're interesting and stuff um but because of a general audience we do put mm-hmm. it in the in the context yeah. of you know what is what's your best sales pitch like if you were okay. trying to sell spiders to the world and say these are actually fascinating and you yeah. should love them and be interested. What, what's your pitch? Okay, so spiders, they are wonderful animals and they help us. And I will, they're, people value different things. So I'll mm-hmm. give you reasons for, you know, different sets of values. Sure. If you're interested in keeping yourself safe from things that might hurt you or ruin the things that you love, spiders are animals that not only eat other spiders, but they eat insects that are damaging the things that we need in our lives that are eating Mm -hmm. our crops that are eating our food damaging our clothes in the case of moths they are actively protecting us 
and they do not often hurt us, if at all. So they're just a net plus. Um, if you're interested in technology, spiders mm. have superpowers. Like, there's a reason Spider-Man is Spider-Man. He has the powers of spiders. Um, and there's 50,000 species of spiders, and each has their own way of approaching life. And mm -hmm. those animals can do things that we can't. And we can learn from that. And so they're, they're, spy they're silk, obviously. It's one of the strongest materials for its weight. Just, just flat. Right. Period. That is a categorical statement. Um, mm -hmm. We still don't know how to fully make it. Spiders do. They do it no problem. Um, and they can do it in a lot of different environments. They can adjust their silk literally based on need. Just like, oh, I need, I know I need to do this. I'm going to change how I make myself. We can learn from that to make better structures. Mm -hmm. um, there are spiders. I mean, I, we talked about jumping spiders before. They are fitting. If you're, if you're interested in cameras and optics and how to build a good camera, there's a lot that we can learn from a jumping spider. I mean, it took us... Um, I think the first smartphone that decided to have two cameras came out in, I want to say like three, four, five years ago. Yeah, Where yeah. we decided, oh, hey, instead of compromising, let's have a camera that's good for portraits and a camera that's good for wide shots. Yeah. That way we can have do both really well. Jumping spiders have been doing that for, uh, I don't know when they first evolved, like uh, 50, 100 million years. And they're just there. They're just, you could have looked and seen it. <laughs> they have eyes specialized for really high resolution, a small field of view, portrait, mm -hmm. and wide field of view, uh, a widescreen shot. Um, they have itty teeny little bitty eyes that they put into a, like a little uh, space the size of a pin. They process all that information with a brain the size of a pin, um, and they can still learn and have complex behavior. Do you want to learn how to make a tiny robot? Figure out how the jumping spider's brain works. Mm -hmm. And you will have one of the best tiny robots ever. <laughs> and I could go on, but for the sake of brevity, I'll, you know, there are spiders that have superpowers that Spider-Man doesn't have. Spider-Man mm -hmm. cannot walk on water. Spiders can walk on water. Spider-Man cannot fly. Spiders can fly. There are both spiders that can glide, and there are spiders that can fly with their silk through the sky. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that we can learn from them. And I think if you take a couple minutes to just see how diverse they are, you'll realize that. Um, and finally, this is the one that I think for me, spiders are kind of magical. Like they are nature, bizarre, crazy, exotic nature that you can like find in like five minutes in a park. Like you don't need to go to a safari in Africa you don't need to go across the world. You literally need to go outside of your house to a local park and just look down and look for small things and pay it, like take a closer look, get mm -hmm. a little magnifying lens or like a $15 like clip-on lens for your phone. Just take a look and start observing animals and you'll see that there are hundreds of species that you can find in your backyard. Spiders are many of them doing things that you would never believe. And oh that ability for anyone in the world to connect with crazy nature and like wild adaptations, um, I think are some of the coolest things about spiders. Incredibly well put. Point because uh, you, you act. It's funny you say it that way because you you actually made me think about that earlier. Is a uh, 
I was I was thinking about um, maybe in the morning just looking uh, for some jumping oh, yeah. spiders, and and I was I was thinking that uh, if I did, it would probably take me no more than uh, ten minutes. I I felt to just yeah. around the porch and our, and the tree in the yard and everything mm-hmm. just just kind of find one right off the bat. Yeah, yeah if if you find one, like tweet it at me. I'd love to see what you have in in your neighborhood because yeah. Like, once you start looking for them, like, once your eyes open up to that wildlife, mm-hmm. you will have such a rich experience on, like, every little walk that you go on. No, that, that would be a great kind of uh, a social media campaign. Like, you know, like the, you know, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but like, you're like yeah. neighborhood spiders, man. Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, and oh man, I love that. invented something. Uh-huh. All over the place and use the same. I love that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I mean, like, you know, you can learn a lot. Like, this is something anyone can do. You, if you have a smartphone, take a photo Mm -hmm. of a spider, put it on like iNaturalist. Yeah, and you are you can both look up your friendly neighborhood spiders and add to that list, Mm -hmm. um, all in one place, and like learn a little bit about what you have around you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. You put that so well. Um, and that's one thing that we're always trying to focus on. And like one of the things that we're always trying to do is like take the not typically talked about and then talk about it. And, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how often, you know, I'm up in Minnesota and, and how often I hear, you know, uh, oh, well, you can't really see anything unless you go up north. I'm like, what? what do you mean? OK, yes, you might not see bear and moose and stuff unless you go up north. But take a step outside or even inside and just look around. There's stuff everywhere and it's all really fascinating stuff. If you just take a minute to watch how they move and, and, and watch the weird little behaviors that they engage in and stuff. And you're gonna get curious and you're gonna find wonder. And, and sometimes it just takes like that willingness to like, to look yeah. and, and to, to just be patient. And gosh, I, I, I like to do this thing that I call, um, um, tiny nature, uh, mm. where, where I'll, I'll pick like a five by five patch of tall grass somewhere. And I'll just spend like three hours just going through that five by five patch of grass and like seeing what all I can find. And you find everything. That You're sounds like, like so much you know, fun. You walk past it all the time and then you stop and it's like a whole metropolis yep. just chilling right there doing, doing their own thing. Right. And, uh, oh gosh, it's just a load of fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you talk to like my partner, um, our like hikes, you know, before mm-hmm. I, I was like into spiders, like we, you know, you go on a hike and you'd like, you'd walk the whole time. And yeah. now it's like, I, I mean, I'm moving at like, I'm stopping every few inches because I'm like, oh, right there. There's like going to be a ton of species right there. And we like flip logs and like, you, you can spend hours just like, in, like you said, in a five by five space. Yeah. And you will never run out of like amazing things to look at. You need a yeah. magnifying lens, but you, that's it. You need a magnifying lens. That's it. <laughs> oh gosh. Spiders are are very interesting creatures and fascinating. They have all sorts of um, bizarre sexual behavior and amazing um, hunting behaviors. But I I think that um, we can love and respect creatures based on basically the fact that we're sharing the world with them and they don't have to perform for us for mm-hmm. us to you know to earn our respect and i know spiders can be very um scary but they're also very charismatic so they have a lot of cool yeah. things about yeah. them but 
and that you know that could be an advantage for them but i also don't think that that you know that creatures owe it to us to be cool so that we love them you know what i mean <laughs> right yes that makes really any like sense that. yes yes absolutely um, otherwise they're really cool yeah and just because yeah <laughs> yeah we uh, uh i'm happy you said that because we are um we just did we haven't put it out yet but we just uh did an episode about conservation and conservation ethics and one of the pieces that we kind of threw in there was talking about how um conservation of a species should not be based on how it makes you feel or how it benefits you individually um or because you think it's cool or not it, it should just be because it's a species it's it's part of the planet it, it evolved and uh it, you know yeah you know that that things shouldn't their value shouldn't be based in you know what's their physical value or uh how cute do i think it is or how cool do i think it is it's it's biodiversity and we should protect it so thank you for throwing that in there so we've talked about spiders we've talked about fear of spiders we've talked about general spider biology we've talked about amazing reproductive stories and and how hard it is to navigate the dating world of really any kind of spider it's just absurdist it's it's chaos like you think it's tough for people ha get over yourselves spiders have like got it made in the wow this is dangerous wow i don't really know about this this is super shady uh also like i kind of have to do it though like i there are no words aside from the words that we've used today in this episode there are no words to further describe the craziness that is spider reproduction next we're talking to uh dr robert t mason of oregon state university all about garter snakes and the crazy reproductive stuff that's going on there and we've got some other stories of some other animals and their reproductive strategies. So it's just, uh, it's a locked and loaded two weeks of animal reproductive stuff. And again, tip of the iceberg. Like we've got so much more to talk about into the future. We're going to do an episode about birds soon. We are talking to somebody about penguins soon. And my understanding is there's some pretty weird stuff there. This might just be something that every time we talk about an animal, we need to have a specific section of the episode talking about what the heck they're doing in the reproductive arena because it's crazy out there. We're going to ruin every animal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we're wrapping up the episode, uh, this is a good time to, again, thank the people who make our show possible, our, our patrons, Megan Gariani, Bridget Fitzgerald, Andrea Lloyd, Chris Trenkel, Matt Capel. Um, if you think that those people sound super cool, well, first off, that's because they are. And you can be like them, too. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash thewildlife. Become a member patron for as little as a dollar a month. We have four tiers, $1 a month, $5 a month, 10 and 20 And at each tier, the rewards, the community benefits, the, the merch, the uh, uh, stuff that you get from us, you know, monthly, just special little bonus things bonus content, um, that stuff increases with each tier. So the more that you contribute each month, the more that you get in return and the more that we love you. And the more that you contribute to conservation because 
all members are automatically a part of our Wildlife Ambassador Program. It's our way of helping to spread the joy and compassion of our community by taking 10% of each member's monthly contributions and diverting them to a conservation or research program related to a wildlife of their choosing. For example, uh, Megan Gariani and Andrea Lloyd, 10% of their contributions goes towards the Sea Turtle Conservancy. Chris Trenkel, Penguins International. Matt Capel, the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. You become a patron? You not only keep the show going, you help with conservation and research. And right now we have a very specific goal in terms of uh, fundraising and increasing um, um, membership contributions. And that is uh, in order to greatly streamline our editing process and improve the quality overall, we are looking to purchase an additional recorder, the same kind that Richard and I both use, that will become our traveling recorder so that when we have guests, we can send it out to them to use, to communicate with us and capture some really good quality and then send it back. But in order to do that, traveling recorder. Yeah, it's a traveling recorder. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling pants, but it's a microphone instead. And we're more of a brotherhood because we're like literally brothers. But anyway, you get my point. So um, we would send it around. And of course, that's cost up front to purchase the recorder. But it's also cost to be able to overnight recorders to places all around the country and the world. And to be able to get them back so they don't just end up lost in New Zealand or wherever. Anyway, uh, also special thanks to... Uh, Shakira Quinones-Lebron and Sebastian Echevari, our guest for the episode. Um, you can follow Sebastian at Spider Day Night, like Saturday Night Live, but Spider Day Night on Twitter. You can follow Shakira at Shakiguani. That's S-H-A-K-I-G-U-A-N-I. Also on Twitter. And follow her amazing hashtag, hashtag SpiderPorn. Because it's incredibly interesting. Beautiful. And also, Sebastian's photos are just... They're... they're Pretty amazing. Astonishing. Oh! And one last thing. And then I promise we'll go. <laughs> we'll leave you alone. Um, you heard us kind of uh, tongue-in-cheekish joking about how great it would be to start a hashtag or something like Friendly Neighborhood Spiders, man. Or something like that. Um, well, guess what? We did. So... Um, if you go on Twitter, the account is um, at spidersfriendly, that's spidersfriendly, or on Instagram, it's friendly neighborhood spiders, man. And uh, there we will be sharing not only our own pictures of spiders that we get, um, but your pictures. So you can tag us or use the designated hashtag on either account. And we will share your pictures uh, with the ultimate goal of really just helping to showcase the diversity in uh, species and appearance and distribution of spiders around the country and around the world. And uh, we're also creating an upcoming uh, separate iNaturalist project from our main one where we will feature those sightings and, and observations there. Um, so really just trying trying to get out that spiders are a lot more that meets the eye or eight eyes.